The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 34. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Uh, today, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's current season and the most recent episode, Point of Light. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Great. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, uh, just as we, as we like to do, remind you to like the Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at the SQPN Facebook page. Retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN. Leave us comments so that we can read them as feedback in the show, for example. Subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. And above all, please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community of Star Trek fans and to reach more listeners. Uh, and if you can write a review on iTunes or other podcast directories, that's huge. That is so much help. Uh, and we are so grateful for those of you who have done that so far. So. Uh, please, if you if you take a moment to, to do write a review, that gets us more exposure for the podcast. So we do appreciate that. So uh, let's get right into it. This most recent episode was called Point of Light, and uh, it features more about Spock. That's the, the it was just say mm-hmm. yeah, there's an A story, a B story, and kind of a C story uh, going on in this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the A story is. Uh, more of Spock, his connection to these uh, lights, the red lights and the red angels. It's uh, more search for Spock. It's more searching yeah. for Spock. Uh, then we have a B story, which uh, features uh, Tilly's ongoing issues with this uh, uh, apparition of a of a of a girl she knew in school uh, who's returned to sort of hunt her in a, in a way. And, and who's then, dead. And who's dead. Yes, we've as we found out at the end of the previous episode. And then the C story uh, brings us back to the Klingon homeworld where we see. Yeah. Yep. And will they ever get hair? <laughs> well, yes. Well, we've discovered that hair is now in mm-hmm. in the cards for them. Uh, we have Laurel, who has become chancellor. We have Ash Tyler, who is a right hand man. And the struggles they have, she's having to maintain control there. So we have these three stories all in this one episode. And it's a. It's an interesting uh, reason um, to think about the this is almost like a bridge episode that kind of carries yeah. the arc as opposed to, right. you know, set us well, a, 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 a single story episode. And, well, can, and, and kind and of it a bridge is, episode. Oh. It is. It is unusual in that it has these three stories. Normally you get an A story and a B story in, mm-hmm. in typical American television. And to have three is in an episode is a bit unusual. Right. Well, it's it's a bridge story, but I would also say it's a, it's a uh, retcon story. The the retcon was strong in this episode as far as trying to explain issues of the first mm. season that Star Trek fans screamed against, right. and how they're supposedly going to move to 
the next or, you know, to the original series. Um, so there, there we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along, but there's, there's lots of issues like that kind of floating through too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the, the the episode begins with Burnham giving her a, a personal log. So this is a couple episodes now where we've started with a, a narration or an overview, uh, of, mm-hmm. you know, especially by Burnham, who is our viewpoint character, as we as we know. And uh, as she's talking about these seven signals and the relationship to Spock. Um, and then we have uh, the 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 track race. Yes. And it's kind of an odd thing. And I'm just kind of. So it's the command training programs. Uh, they're having a half marathon through the 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 uh, corridors of the ship, the passageways, mm-hmm. and so thirteen miles of running through corridors. That's a lot, even for Doctor Who. <laughs> yes, yeah, it no would kidding. be. Yes, uh, and I'm 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 kind of struggling with this whole command training program thing because Tilly is so concerned about becoming a captain, whereas last season she was a cadet and she just yeah. became an ensign. And I'm thinking, like, like what is like how does this command training program work? Is this it? it it's almost like a corporate training program as opposed See, to a military. The only, the only, yeah, I was gonna say the the parallel that I could think of is in the military. You often have when you reach a certain rank, you have a, a class you have to go to. Um, you know, for enlisted, you'll have like the NCO training school in the Air Force, right? Where when you hit, you know. Uh, uh, senior airman, uh, staff sergeant, you'll go to this course to learn then what you need to do to be a supervisor, you right. know, what you need to do to, to, to have airmen underneath you and what that means to be an NCO. That's the only thing I could think of as a parallel and officers have equivalent of that too. But usually again, thinking in the air force, the modern day air force, it's usually about the rank of captain and major, right? Which is, you know, mm-hmm. two ranks up from, second lieutenant ensign which right. are equivalent ranks you know so it's it's kind of weird that she would be doing that after getting right out of the academy i assume that it's related to um the what we know from the original series are kind of the different major departments like right. in the 23rd century science is going to be so massive that if you're going to be a science specialist if you're going to wear a blue shirt whether it's medical or astrophysics or whatever it may be, there's going to be so much for you to know that you're really not going to be on the command path. You might sub in temporarily, you know, like if you are Mr. Spock or something, um, but you're really committed to learning all of this massive amount of science that applies to different planets. And so you, I think, and same thing for engineering. I mean, these are phenomenally, um, you know, complex pieces of technology they're flying around in. And so I, I think you may just have to, and this is just head cannon, but yeah. you may have to choose early on which path you're going to pursue. And mm-hmm. so, and, and, and command may actually involve a huge amount of uh, learning as well, because um, as, uh, as we learned from Galaxy Quest, there's not a commander who doesn't know every bolt and rivet of their starship. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so, you know, it, it, there's a little, there's a, enough there that I can kind of imagine this, but yeah. I, I agree. This is kind of way early in her career to be taking training specifically aimed at getting you into a commander or captain slot which they do indicate in this episode is, is the goal. It's not, this is just for future captains. It's for future well, and captains I, and commanders. And, and I could, I could see it if it was stated as something like 
this is what you need to go through to be a bridge officer, for example. Right. Yeah. You, you, you know, yeah. if, if you're if you're going to be a helmsman, if you're going to be even communications on the bridge, you have to go through command training because there theoretically could be a situation where the mm-hmm. captain, the first first start, the first uh, officer, the second officer and so on are, are indisposing. You're it. Yeah, right. you wouldn't like want the ship's counselor having to run things. <laughs> We've no. seen that happen. <laughs> or yes, the ship's the ship's doctor uh, once or twice. Uh, yes, uh, and, and I could see like remember uh, in Voyager, Janeway was a science officer who moved over to command, and I could see mm-hmm. someone like that going through a command training program as they're mm-hmm. moving from one specialty to to another. So I could see that too. Um, well, and we it, even saw Doctor Crusher, you know, take a command program. Right. The problem I mm-hmm. have is. Uh, with with because I, I don't want to just get it too much in the to the to the uh, the weeds and retconning. But the problem dramatically I have is is that it it creates this tension in Tilly. Like if I if I mess up this thing right now, I will never become a captain. And it's like yeah, like, that's just it just seems it's hard to take. It's hard to believe. And that's well, that could be a character defect. Um, you know yeah. that we we've known people like that. I, I've known people who priests guys who are priests today and some who aren't anymore who um they had to get all a's at seminary uh, getting the- a b at seminary well you know what you call a priest who had an average of a b grade a b- father a priest yes you know what you call a priest who had an average of an a grade at seminary father right yeah right but they had to get that a grade you know they had to have that you know yeah. there are people that they're just driven like that and there are also people who, like Tilly, are just insecure and are afraid every mistake is going to be fatal. And yeah, right. I like the fact that they have Saru kind of walk her back on that. Right. You know, it's like you don't have that much pressure. I got your back here. I, I like Saru as Tilly's mentor. I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy am enjoying that addition to his uh, his character in this season. It makes him more than just, oh, that scared guy running things. You, you know, yeah. he was a little it's, it's one dimensional. It's been a way they've really been able to develop his character where yeah. he's been able to grow past that. I think everybody, every character has had development beyond what they were last season in that in, in positive ways. Every character has developed. Oh, yes. Except that transhuman person on the bridge. The uh, the, uh, the the the, the, totally, the, yeah, the, the one thingy. you never see any of her any of her actual skin. Uh, the the one with the helmet on, or the one who's yeah, like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. the one with the helmet. Yes, yeah. I, I, I do want to get that person's story someday, some lower decks uh, episode where we find out about that one. Um, so t- while Tilly's running, she she sees the ghostly May and uh, uh, taunting that, her. Ta- ta- right, right. It's very interesting. Um, of course, like this this is a, not a, a a Star Trek problem. This is a TV problem. Tilly stops running talks with this person for minutes at a time and then starts running again and then catches, not only catches everybody else, yeah. passes them to win. Now, uh, and the, beats her own best time. Yes. And exactly. I, like I am, I, this is, if you could see me, I am not fat shaming or fitness shaming anyone, but this actress yeah. is obviously not as in, as in running shape as the other actors who are running. It's just, it's, I mean, this is, I mean, I would, I could not, run as fast as even she does but she's nevertheless just from a high gravity world or something <laughs> so, so let's go with she's that worth. <laughs> she's worth uh, i just thought that was kind of funny how they always have like they no matter how long they stop and talk they always catch up and they and, and, and in this case she won the race oh yeah so uh so that sort of sets the stage for the dramatic the dramatic tension in this episode for tilly is 
we're going to have this confrontation over this character, this ghostly uh, person who's hunting her. Um, and then we shift to um, the arrival of Sarek's ship. Um, Pike says, oh, I had to let Starfleet Command know about the connection between Spock and the Seven Signals. And because Sarek is leading up a task force with the Federation, he's probably coming to talk about it. Turns out it's not Sarek at all. It's Amanda. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and she's being secretive. Yes, she whispers, please don't react. Spock needs our help. I could only turn to you. I'm like, why, why are you whispering? <laughs> like, why, yeah. like, why can't you? Like, I don't <laughs> That's not going to get picked up by the microphones, and or, or even just like, why is that a secret? I, I, yeah. I, I Spock needs our help. I need. I could only turn to you. Okay, let's yeah. talk about it. Can't can't have that random unnamed officer who's running the transporter that you only see when he's actually standing at the transporter console. Can't have him hear it. <laughs> That's right. I have to say that the actress who plays Amanda, uh, Mia Kirshner, looks. She looks like she could be the same age as Michael Burnham. I mean, she looks yeah. really young. Uh, yeah. It, you know, in in the future, they everyone has they, lives long and looks good. Really, really good skin cream on Vulcan. She's taking that live long and prosper thing to a to the, to the yeah. logical extreme. <laughs> and then we switch to the Klingons. Uh, the Klingons are back. Laurel is addressing the Klingon High Council. She's got Ash slash Volk still looking human, by the way. Um, looking better as a human too. He's yes. got this kind of samurai thing going now oh, with the man it, bun and the beard. But the beard, yep. though, as we always know, all know, the addition of a beard improves everything, including the whole yeah. show. Um, and so uh, they're I like that they're showing the uh, the them the future iconic D7 battlecruiser, which yeah. will be the basis of the new unified Klingon uh, fleet, which I'm like, I, I just love the introduction of these. As you were saying earlier, Father Gray, the retconning. Uh, yeah. This, yeah, this is, was this was the this was the first. Uh, what I would call the instance of retconning where oh, all those ships that were different that we didn't recognize that's because those were built by the houses. Right. And they did them on their own. But now we're going to have this unified one that just <laughs> happens to look exactly like the one that everybody thinks of as the original series Klingon ship. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad to and, see it. And why we don't have the houses stressed in the new in the original series, because they've right. been unified. They're an integrated service now. Exactly. Yep. Um, so. Uh, the I have to say, yeah. as well, we're talking about hair. So the apparent yeah. explanation is that the Klingons didn't have hair last season because it was wartime. And for some reason, mm -hmm. they shaved off their hair. But now that the war is over, they're growing it back. And on yep. some of them, it looks great. On Laurel, though, that style just isn't working for her. It looks it looks really <laughs> like overly fake. Like it is fake. Obviously, yeah. it looks really fake. Um, yeah. it's, a couple of things come up in this. So if one. Laurel is talking about uniting the various Klingon cultures into one. And this is actually, I really appreciate this because this has been a criticism of a lot of science fiction, which is every time people from Earth go out into, into space and visit another planet, that planet has one culture and, yep. and one like climate. The <laughs> like the, right. But, and, and one climate. So it, oh, this is a jungle planet and this is a, a snow planet. And our planet has all those things plus more. Uh, mm -hmm. And our planet has hundreds of thousands of cultures, not just one, uh, even today or maybe even in the future will have differences. And so this acknowledges that the Klingons have separate cultures with different cultural expressions. And Laurel is specifically trying to unite them into a single culture that's Klingon, and which will what, explain why the Klingons are a monoculture in the future. Yeah, what I find 
hard to process though is and this is true of the first season as well is why do the why are they so threatened as klingons as a culture right um because they haven't been like kicked around and lost a bunch of wars or anything i mean that's the situation mm-hmm. if you've like if you're economically disadvantaged or if you're culturally disadvantaged or if you're militarily disadvantaged, that's when a culture starts to get skittish about its identity. It's like we need to protect our identity. But we haven't. But there 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 has to be some kind of massive disadvantage to induce that kind of fearfulness about your own culture. And we haven't seen any evidence of the Klingons experiencing the kind of massive disadvantage that would have motivated Takuvma and Volk and Laurel and so forth. I mean, it is part of the, the the Klingon psyche that goes back to their very origins that they always see themselves as, you know, us against the world or the universe in this case. Um, we mm-hmm. we have to we have to fight everyone we encounter in order to dominate them. There's this sort of uh, uh, this 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 cultural species. Uh, attitude that we that they have to be the the preeminent warrior. They have this alpha male thing to the extreme, um, and I th- yeah, I think but- that sort of motivates the, them when they encounter someone different. It's not mm-hmm. who are you? Let's get to know each other. It's attack, conquer, and then we can yeah. figure it out. But but if that was, I think this is a flaw in the writing um, because mm-hmm. if that was the issue, they would be saying things like. We must claim our rightful place in the galaxy. We need to show these other Federation people, you know, that we're the alphas here. Right. Um, And they're not. They're saying we need to protect ourselves lest we be destroyed and assimilated by the Federation. And that's a completely different message and a different place psychologically. Right. They could do a better job of of sort of point of of them explaining. uh, Look, we saw the Vulcans become part of it and then the the Andorians and all these. uh, Every time the Federation encounters a new world they absorb it and that world loses its identity which you know know, whether it does or not that could be their viewpoint um but you have well you're right it has they have to kind of say it you can't just assume we're going to figure that out that that's what they mean so i agree i see that Uh, because one thing they do here is they they see the red lights these red signals their uh, 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 viewpoint on them is that they are omens about their loss Mm -hmm. uh in the world about uh, having lost the war um, and so they see the, the, the sort of as a motivator, or at least Laurel uses it as a motivator to um, to unify. So yeah, that- so they just needed 23rd century St. Augustine to write the new city of God in space and explain <laughs> that the gods really haven't deserted everybody. They were never there. Right. Well, the, the Klingons uh, famously killed their gods, right? That's uh, was yeah. the... Uh, so the- they have even less excuse. <laughs> Who's sending the omens? Exactly. <laughs> right. Um so the question comes up then, why is Ash still Ash? Why has he not been returned to the way he was as Vok, as a Klingon? Why does mm-hmm. he still look human? Um, and th- I mean, because this, this is a big plot point. Um, mm-hmm. The other Klingons see him as this human interloper, this human influence on, on the Chancellor, and they distrust her because of him. So yeah. why is he still a human? And, and this was suicidally foolish. Of them. I mean, we we see how it gets dealt with in this episode, but like there is no way that Ash Tyler is going to be able to serve as Laurel's right hand man in a in a Mm post-war Klingon culture and not get killed. Right. Right. He just could not survive for any period of time in that position. 
Right. Well, they, they they kind of they kind of explain it where because Ash Tyler's personality was mm-hmm. put over Volks, Volks was basically wiped out. Okay. Volks no longer exists. Little fragments of Volk, and they for some reason they don't have the technology to medically undo this. I think was the indication we got at the end of last yeah. season. That's the problem I have. Is, is like why? Like I mean, they you went one direction, you can't go in the other or whatever, or at least to give him the appearance, like. Maybe not make him Volk again, but give him head ridges or whatever, just to make him that, at least yeah. look. Uh, that they could certainly do. Although yeah. uh, uh, there is precedent, Arn Darwin never went back to looking Klingon. Right. And even in the 24th century, he was still human looking. <laughs> and they didn't even have head ridges then. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, I do like the fact that this is this has precedent in the original series, this idea mm-hmm. of they cling on hill it's human. Uh, so for all the all the fans who are complaining about this, um, there there is precedent for it. Um, also, wow, does Ash Tyler really know how to sabotage his relationship with Laurel? I mean, yeah. telling her it feels like a, the Ash part of me feels like it's being violated when you touch me. It's like, OK, don't you're going to be sleeping on the couch for a long time if she doesn't, <laughs> if she doesn't knife you herself. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, although if she were a. If she were a Klingon woman like we've seen Klingon women before in in uh, Star Trek, she doesn't act like it. You know what I mean? The, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Klingon, the Klingon women we've seen before are much more assertive and aggressive. And, you yeah. know, the, the, she's more vulnerable. She is. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional for this particular character or just uh, they've changed the, Klingons. She just doesn't happen to be the Duras sisters. Yeah. Or uh, what was Alexander's She's, mother? Um, uh, uh, now yeah. it's gone out of my head. <laughs> she starts with a B. Yeah, but she was half Klingon. So. Half Klingon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she didn't particularly like the Klingon part of herself. Kind that's of like Juana Torres, right? Yep. Um, yeah. The Duras sisters are way slimier, though. And, yes, and and I kind of like having a Klingon woman who's full Klingon and and not slimy. There was the yeah. uh, kind the of Kling- like Grilka. She was not. She was not particularly slimy. Which was Grilka, Grilka the one? That, that was the one with Quark. That's the one I was going to say. The yep. one that Quark. The, I, actually, I think I look at her as the. She's not half human. She's a regular Klingon woman, and she's not slimy like the Dura sisters. As she would be the the example to, to follow. Kalar. Kalar was Alexander's yes. mother. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we switch back to. Um, to the discovery, I keep wanting to say Enterprise. We're all going to do this all throughout the entire series. We're going to call it the Discovery yep. Enterprise. We switch back to the Discovery, uh, where Pike. We're starting to see this personality of Pike's that is different from all the other captains. Um, in in some ways, Pike is the Boy Scout. He does not oh, yeah. break the rules, and so he refuses to. So so Amanda stole Spock's medical file um, mm-hmm. and brought it to uh to to Michael asking her to, to decrypt it. Michael refuses and takes it to Pike and Pike at first refuses. And he says, my mother wouldn't like it if I broke the rules, which is a very, yeah. <laughs> that's, it, that's an, a key character insight into Pike. And I like this, yeah. that this different he, kind of captain. He's, he's, he's doing kind it of down a, to earth and yeah, yeah, he's doing it as kind of a joke. It's, he's not really that much of a mama's boy, but right. it's like, he's saying, look, this is against my principles that they're very deeply yep. held. Right. Uh, and it's, uh, so it's, 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 uh, I, I like this aspect of Pike and I think it creates interesting drama, uh, especially as we go forward, 
especially with Burnham, who in the past has been able is you know played a little fast and loose with the rules at times, mm-hmm. as we know. And, mm-hmm. and she comments on that, and and it's an indication of how she's changed as a character. Yes. Yep. Yep. And it also makes him different from Kirk, who who just yeah. who, who did what he needed to do when he wanted to do it, that sort of thing. So, uh, but they find out in the file that Spock is wanted for murder. Oh, but, ha- but having... before then, before okay. then, they they contact. So be- before agreeing to decrypt the file, Pike contacts like Spock, the head of the facility of Starbase Five, where Spock right. is being held, and says, uh, "Can you give me an update?" And it's like, "Sorry, I can't." And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm his commanding officer. I'm entitled to an update. And the guy's like, well, he's not here anymore. He killed three of his doctors and then escaped. Right. And and this is what convinces Pike that something weird is going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also know that uh, some of Spock's files are missing, although I don't know why they would, because all you have to do is copy them to a thumb drive, even if they're encrypted. <laughs> you um, you got to remember, this is this is Federation computers where you can't have like a duplicate of a hologram. You know, if you copy the hologram <laughs> from one ship to the other, the hologram disappears from the original and yeah, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, <clears throat> so as soon as they're off the phone with with Starfleet, um, oh, and also they note that some people like Pike do prefer communicating on screens to using yes. holograms. So yes. there's another bit of retconning for father. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the as soon as they're off the phone, uh, all three of them, Amanda, Michael and Pike instantly say this guy's not telling us the whole truth. Some right. Spock would not do this. And so that's what pushes him over to say, go ahead and decrypt this thing because we're not getting the real story. Right. Uh, on the uh, copying the file, there, there actually are, are computer systems today, government computer systems yeah. that can tell yeah. when something's been copied. So, yeah. Yeah. But well, I guess the difference between missing, copying and missing, though. Yeah. yeah missing. I, I would assume this is like some uncopyable disk or right. something like. And so and the only way to get the file is take the disk. Yeah. That just seems silly for medical records. But yes. Yeah. Uh, so the, the what they discover in the record is that Spock is suffering from an abnormal extreme empathy deficit. And as soon as they said that, I thought he's become a psychopath. And then they 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 make that explicit. Amanda points out that extreme empathy empathy deficit is medical code for psychopathy. Yes. Uh, hmm. So has so Spock like gone what crazy? Serial killers have. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, and and this this goes directly to to Burnham. Um, because she feels like that she had been brought into the family to to help Spock learn empathy. Sarah had told her that uh, previously. Um, and yep. Amanda talks about she tried not to confuse Spock growing up. Spock was, you know, Sarah is the unemotional Vulcan, and so Amanda denied Spock her outward displays of love, so mm-hmm. that he could grow up in the Vulcan way. Um, which, as we know, as humans, <laughs> as human beings. That's how you create psychopaths by denying them yeah. motherly love. Um, and Spock being half human, apparently that affected him in, the, in that way. Apparently. And that's the question. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, and, and then, then there was the issue of, of um, you know, brought up of Burnham, what she did. And of course, this, yeah. this is this is one of my, my pet peeves of, of writing is I, I call it the Dan Brown method of suspense. <laughs> you ask a question and you don't answer it. Right. Yeah. And you put it's, off the answer till later. It's to very some so key opera. point in the plot. Yeah. And that's what happened here is Burnham clams up every time says, well, it's my fault. What did you do? She clams up. Right. 
just yeah. just to say it. Yeah, so which she eventually it, does. But so so in this conversation, after they open up the file, they find all these images of uh, the Red Angel. Yeah. And um, and so Amanda reveals to Michael because they both recognize the Red Angel. Amanda reveals to Michael that the Red Angel drawings were made by Spock and that he had seen the Red Angel as a child. Apparently, at some point, the family was under threat by logic extremists because of Sarek's dalliance with humans. Right. And um, and Michael became the focus of that. Apparently, the logic extremists were even responsible for the deaths of her parents, if I understood correctly. And so <clears throat> she mm. takes off, uh, runs away from home, and on that night, the Red Angel appeared to Spock and told Spock where Michael had gone. And Michael doesn't know anything about this because Spock and Amanda or Sarek and Amanda assumed that Spock had used logic to figure out where she was, knowing things like what time she left, how fast she was mm -hmm. walking, stuff right. like that. And so they thought that he had just imagined this Red Angel business. Well, now with the red signals, it turns out, no, there really is this Red Angel entity. And it's had a profound effect on the lives of both Spock and Michael. Right. Um, and my thought was, well, at least the Red Angel, even though the children are leading here, at least the Red Angel isn't Melvin Belli. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's a callback to an, an original series episode. Yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that that comes up here, and this is a fundamental Star Trek question, which is j just because you're half of a particular species, does that yeah, mean as that, if. Yeah, as if right? Does that mean that you must have the attributes of that species? This is the Bolana Torres question, the Savak question, the Spock question. You know, so because Spock is half human, does that mean he must have human emotions? Um, is that how it works? Now, obviously, we don't have a real world an, an, an analog to this because we we don't have cross species well, uh, sentient. Well, I was going to yeah. say sentient, um, uh, you know, cross species because we only know of one. Uh, but you, I mean, does it does this make sense to you? This is a so this is sort of a fundamental Star Trek question. I mean, that this idea that being the half species of something gives you certain undeniable personality qu uh, qualities yeah. or mental so, qualities. So the idea, uh, I, I assume every character that we see who's a interstellar half-breed on this show has to, their parents had to have massive genetic engineering to make this possible. Right. If it was mm -hmm. even possible at all. Uh, because in real life, there's no way you're crossing two different species from two different planets. Right. But, if you could do that based on the parallels we have on Earth, where you have very similar things like lions and tigers that can breed, um, mm -hmm. then you you do end up getting a liger or a, ty a tigon, um, which does display both characteristics of a mm -hmm. lion and a tiger. Um, I would assume with Mendelian genetics that it would, for the most part, uh, kind of give you a bell curve where you have about a quarter of the offspring are very much like one race. A quarter of the offspring are very much like the other race. And the middle 50 percent of the offspring will be a kind of a blend of both races, assuming mm -hmm. there are no super dominant genes involved from one of the races. So you'd have some largely human 
human-Vulcan hybrids, largely Vulcan human-Vulcan hybrids, and then mid-range human-Vulcan hybrids, which would be the most common. Okay. Right. Father Corey, you have any? Uh... Well, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, that's that's always been a kind of a trope of of fantasy as well. Of you know, you have groups like half elves where they're half human, half elves, right? And they'll and a lot of times, again, when you do like role playing or something like that, they will have traits of either. So it's it's the same principle, kind of like Jimmy says, is you know, you will pull traits from either race, you know, either species, but you probably won't have all of them. You know, it's not like they right. like you'll have all the Vulcan traits and all the human traits and they're kind of mashed together. You know, there will be some pick and yeah. choose, so to speak. I guess- An example from the drumhead in next generation time was that uh, younger crewman who was like a quarter Romulan and he had lied to get into Starfleet said his, he had a Vulcan grandfather when really it was a Romulan grandfather and he was largely human, but he had a little bit of point to his ears and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I suppose from their point of view in the story is that Spock would have been the, they would have assumed at first that he was that 25% that was mostly Vulcan and exhibited mostly mm-hmm. Vulcan uh, mental and physical traits. Um, but now it's appearing that there are more human aspects that are that are coming out. Uh, Maybe. I'm, I assume Spock's still a 50%er in terms of his traits, and he's just trained himself to act right. more Vulcan. Right, I, I suppose. We did, we did have a discussion um, last time where we talked about Spock's emotional reactions in the cage, the pilot episode mm-hmm. that then became the menagerie. And I had said, oh, well, Spock addressed that with McCoy. Uh, and Jimmy, you asked me about that after the after we recorded it, like because because you looked and it's not in that episode. Um, and now I have to kind of backtrack a little bit on that, because I could swear that I remember some dialogue or a conversation between Spock and McCoy about his emotional reaction in in the events of the of the cage of the of the original pilot where you know he he's delighted at the the blue tingling uh, chinese um, money plant yes and yeah. <laughs> chinese money plant right um i have to admit there could be a something i read in a book a star trek yeah. book um a novel because uh, i've read uh, dozens and dozens of those and it could be in those it could be a false memory that's influenced partly by a spock's reaction in a mock time when he's joyful at Kirk uh, not being dead and, and McCoy calling him on that. So that could be that too. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of point it out here. And so if it's, if a listener knows if they, if they know what, what, what I'm remembering, uh, let me know. Cause I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. And it, certainly in novelizations and things like that, it's common to retcon things that don't quite make sense. And it could like that happens all the time in Doctor Who novels. I assume it happens in Star Trek novels, too, yes. where, well, what wouldn't McCoy have pointed this out? He was sitting right there in the courtroom when they played the Chinese money plant sequence. <laughs> right. Know? Exactly. It would be natural for him to rib Spock about that. And yes. then the, the logical explanation is, well, at that time, I was experimenting more with my humanity. Right. Right. Uh, so this scene ends with uh, Michael being called away because she got a message and it's Ash calling her to warn her about Laurel's troubles um, and the impact that might have on the Federation. And I'm thinking, are there no other diplomatic connections? Like, why is this? Why is does he have to call her to relay this to the Federation diplomatic or the Federation Council or whatever? Uh, it just seemed kind of. Because then you get that split scene where they're both standing in their various sets and looking at each other via hologram. Yeah, it just feels contrived, but okay. Um, But okay, so he passes on the warning, which 
this presumably is why uh, we get the ending that we do. So here's a here's a headcanon for why he wouldn't just call the Federation embassy on Kronos. That call is going to be tracked and it's going to be decoded. And right. word is going to get back to um, to the I mean, it, you know, anytime anybody calls an embassy, the local intelligence is going to be all services are going to be all over that. Well, and they're going to be reporting it to people who you may not want to know about it. He's even not telling Laurel he's doing this. Yeah. So he doesn't want anybody to know making a personal call would make sense in yeah. that kind of situation because right. it's less likely to be monitored. That's true. And in fact, he has good reason to be uh, to worry about being bugged because he is bugged. He is. The uh, paint yeah. that he can't the face paint that he rubbed off of the bad guy. Uh, General call. call, call Shaw. General call of, of House Corps. So he's like related to Commander Corps, who will yes. meet in 10 years time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so he. Um, By he the had, way, I assume that paint was like a mark of his house that he was yeah. defiantly wearing. And that's why I right. wanted him to take it off. Right. That's where that whole like we are one culture now thing and your culture, your, your culture wears that paint and we don't do that now. And that's that was another another retcon why they, some of them had face paint. Yes. In the previous season, because that, that was their markings of their house. Right. And throughout yeah, this episode, he, we saw Tyler trying to get it off his hands. Uh, out, out, damn spot, as we... Uh, I, I know, I kept thinking of that. <laughs> uh, it turns out it was a very persistent listening bug on his hands. I have to say, that was a clever little uh, uh, techno yeah. babble uh, on that. That was that was good. I like that. Um, yeah, because in the future, bugging would be fantastically easy with microscopic devices. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and then uh, we, get, we go back to the uh, Enterprise where... Um, the you know, the command training program uh, 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 shadow per, per, exercises. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so here's this is how you Which make is, a puppy, and this is how you make a, yeah, a dancing it's dog. It's basically take your cadet to work day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, of course, Tilly ends up with Captain Pike uh, because why not? Right? She's well. I mean, she did win a Medal of Honor as a cadet, so maybe they yeah. they they have high hopes for her. Uh, but she's. She's being she's already Tilly, which means she's nervous and, and, and edgy. Now she's extra edgy because of May. May and, is freaking out. It, and she does the freak out. She kind of loses it in, in front of everyone. And instead of telling everyone what's going on, because now they really think she's crazy. Just tell everyone. I, that's the thing, I just yell at the screen. It's like, this yes. is Star Trek. This sort of thing happens. Tell them about it. <laughs> Uh, I, I like I like how um, so May is like totally the thing that tips Tilly over the edge is May is freaking out. It's like, yes. where is the real captain? This is not him. The real captain is much whiter. And I'm going, are you sure? Pike is pretty white. They do have someone in the wings who's even whiter than Pike. And <laughs> Blonde hair and white. Yeah. And shorter. Uh, yeah, man, he's, he's, he's almost the human Vogue. He's like almost an albino. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. That uh, the actor is pretty, uh, pretty pale. Um, and, and yes, because Tilly first thinks that she's talking about Lorca, which, you know, obviously not the case. Uh, and so Tilly just has a she just has a breakdown. She just kind of she loses it and rushes off the bridge. Um, and and that's that's that for now. And then we're back to Konos. Like, hello, whiplash, uh, where yeah. Tyler discovers. Let's just skip to the to the point. Skyler, Tyler discovers that he and, and Laurel had a baby. Um, and yep. there's this little mm -hmm. Klingon infant lying in a cradle that he runs into. 
and that changes everything for yeah. both for him, but also for the Empire, uh, right. because so, it introduces a vulnerability. So Lorel didn't have a uh, didn't he didn't know about this because she found out she was pregnant after his conversion to human began, and she right. couldn't lead the Empire while being pregnant. So she had the baby transferred to an artificial womb. And it was born from an artificial womb. Um, also, it's never it's met not, the baby. Right. She's never met it. She's had it under the care of her uncle. And that's why that explains earlier in the episode. Ash is like, why does your uncle not like me? And she's no, no, he believes in you. Well, right. why is he keeping secrets from me? Well, this is the secret he's been keeping. Right. And right. so um, so the the baby also is an albino um, like Vogue. And uh, and yeah, Lorel views it as a liability, which is kind of cold blooded. Um, on the, on the but, other hand, you know, but true, I guess, yeah. in Klingon society. Yeah. On the other hand, apparently. It, I don't want to I don't want to get into a, a into a, a long political discussion. But the uh, the top the idea of abortion never comes up. Like she never talked, mm -hmm. you know, that. that this inconvenient pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. She did not, it, 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 it didn't come up even in the discussion. Yeah. Well, did you think of getting rid of the baby? No, it never came up. Like, and so that's a very it, interesting is, aspect. It is surprising. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, Gene Roddenberry, despite his various views <laughs> on sexuality, yeah. Um was pro life and that's good but mm -hmm. I don't think they're honoring him here. I think the reason yeah. is that if she had had an abortion there would be no drama. Right. Uh this right. is this is this is a plot point. What I found interesting is so we and this is something you see not just in modern Star Trek but with the deconstruction of family values that we've had massively across popular media right. culture in the last number of years the one that's still kind of there is you you have to suck it up for the sake of your children. Right. And so even though Ash has just massively damaged his relationship with Laurel by sharing his secret cootie feelings about her, <laughs> um, he he immediately sucks it up for the sake of the child and like recommits to Laurel, even though he just had a flirty scene with Michael Burnham. Right. And they were mm -hmm. clearly interested in each other. It's like, okay, no, I'm committing to you now. We have a baby. And, right. and that's, uh, that's admirable. Um, it's a little surprising because, you know, you could just adopt, you know, right. um, there are other, there are other, even if you don't, if you, even if Klingons don't practice infanticide, which one would be surprised if they didn't, given their warrior culture mm -hmm. na nature, um, the, uh, you could have the baby adopted. The, you don't have to recommit in this situation but you do because that's the dramatically emotionally satisfying right thing to do but right i found mm -hmm. myself wondering how you know hollywood has taken the lead on deconstructing family values how long till they deconstruct that one in right. 10 right. years time are we going to be seeing because originally you had stories like on on maud back in the 1970s where maud has an abortion and that's the drama and it's the big triumphant thing right and are we going to see similar stuff with parents one day turning their backs on their children uh because why not i mean why preserve this one if you're smashing all the rest mm -hmm. uh it's already begun i mean i remember a few a few times watching a, either a movie or a tv show where a parent uh says you know 
uh, I have to be true to myself and abandons their family and their their kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Although even then, it's still. I'm just trying to remember the examples I'm thinking of. It's still seen as partially a bad thing. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. you're, you've abandoned, but maybe how long before it's seen that as a good thing? The triumph, right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, uh, Laurel thinks uh, that uh, Tyler is is going to leave someday. He's going to leave to return to a human life. That the, that the, he's a human now, and he's not going to want to stick around. He's going to want to go back to Burnham because hey, he's been calling his his ex girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's been a bad sign. On the force phone, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, yep. that's a bad sign, you know, when you, he's he's calling the ex girlfriend, and uh, you know you've got more in common with her now. I I, I can hear the argument uh, already. Um. Uh. So he, but like you said, he recommits to her. Um. And so we're back to, um. We we go back to discovery, and we get um. Uh. Let's see the uh. So this is when we had the logic extremist thing. Um, yeah. And and at this point, Michael reveals that. So Amanda says that there was a moment after the Red Angel incident where she could just sense all of Spock's openness starting to drain away. Right. And Michael says that was me. Yes. I knew I mm-hmm. had to hurt Spock in order to protect him from the logic extremists. I had to push him away from me. And so I did something which I'm not going to tell you in this episode. Um, right. where I hurt him and that pushed him away. And that's what caused him to close in on himself and become much less emotional. And when Amanda learns this and when Michael won't tell her what she did, um, she kisses Michael and well, Michael says, no matter, despite the fact I did this to him and he's never returned any of my phone calls since then, I will find mm-hmm. him. And Amanda right. kisses her and says, no, I will. And walks off. That was and interesting. That was a very interesting moment. It's <laughs> like, okay, you're trying to show you still care for Michael, but there is an oh snap in this that is really serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was an effective dramatic moment. I, I still love you. You're still my child, but I'm really mad at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was that was effective. Um, all right. So uh, at this point in the third act of the show, we're jumping back and forth. Klingon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burnham and uh, Amanda Tilly. So we're so now we snap back to 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 the to Kono, uh, Kronos, um, and we have this is when Laurel and Tyler are now going together to see their baby because Laurel has, like I said, had never seen even seen her baby before. Um, and when they get there, they find her uncle, who's been guardian of the baby, dead, He's hanging from the ceiling, strung up. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. in 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 uh, Klingon fashion. Uh, and now this is when Kolshaw contacts him via hologram, holding the baby, and uh, says, um, "You get the baby back, but you have to give me control of the empire, basically." Yeah. And so they're gonna—he's gonna tell them, you know, where to meet, and that—and that's where we're going to uh, sign the papers over, sign the, uh, the empire over to me. And so then they have a big battle of two people. Laurel and Ash hmm. yeah. against, I don't know how many Klingons, and they win. Right. Um, the- I assume this is the kind of battle that occurs on Game of Thrones, though I've never seen Game of Thrones. 
Um, and you know, we, we've we've seen this in Star Trek too, though. We would have the big Klingon battles where you have the hero Klingon standing up against yeah. all the the oh, peon no. Klingons. I thought of that because in watching it, I mean, they're using these bladed weapons and to do all this, and they're doing it with this kind of Lord of the Rings vibe. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's with the architecture and the art stylings on the battles and stuff. Right. The Batleth and Mechleth have been redesigned, I have to say. Very interesting. They have a much more organic design than mm-hmm. the previous designs. The previous ones were very um, industrial, angular. The, the, it, in keeping with the new Klingon aesthetic, it's very organic and flowing yeah. in the design. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it, some people are really into the, the sort of design stuff. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It doesn't really, doesn't really matter to me, I guess. But uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, one of the other things that uh, struck me is they they animated in you know special effects of all this Klingon purple blood flying everywhere. Oh yeah, um, it was looked yeah, very fake. A lot, lot more blood, lot more blood than yeah. you know traditional Klingon fights. That's for sure. That yeah. yes, apart from uh, the uh, was Star Trek six the the one where uh, Spock yeah. and undiscovered Kirk, country, undiscovered yep. country, right. That that's where the last time we saw a lot of Klingon uh, blood flowing around in uh, uh, purple blood uh, in null gravity. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that was uh, very interesting. Um, so, so, so despite them winning, um, Call pulls out a a, a paralysis device yep. that par- paralyzes um, Ash and Lorel, and then he forces Lorel's thumbprint using Ash's blood onto a contract to turn the mm-hmm. empire over to him and he's about to slit ash's throat when suddenly a klingon woman steps out of the shadows and and kills him and then sucks the paralysis energy out of both of them reve- and reveals herself to be philippa giorgio <laughs> who uh who uh ash immediately recognizes and addresses as emperor and she says i think you must have me confused with someone else i'm just <laughs> philippa giorgio Right. Former commander of the Shinzo. And security yep. consultant for the Federation now. That's yeah, a, yeah. She's, she's yes. got a consulting gig now, which is interesting. Um, it's a gig economy. <laughs> that's right. And she tells Lorel uh, that Tyler and the boy are liabilities to her. Um, oh, also, she uses this floaty bubble thing to incapacitate Cole. Oh, she yeah. likes it's kind of cool, yeah. 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 And then, then, which allows Lorel to execute him in, uh, in Klingon style, which, which well, I thought was a very... Um, uh, 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 um, very nice of Giorgio to let Lorel have her her Klingon revenge. Uh, I suppose. Well, and 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 she, did, you know, Lorel did threaten, or uh, uh, Tyler, I think, was threatened that that Colshaw's no, it was Lorel. Excuse me, Lorel threatened that his his entrails would be spilled on the floor. And well, that last <laughs> well, scene of him was with the entrails spilled on the floor. <laughs> yes, this is she not your father's. This is not your father's Star Trek anymore. Um, no. So she I'd like ca- to live just long enough to see your head put on a pike. I would <laughs> wave at your lifeless eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, she dismisses, uh, Georgia dismisses uh, Tyler and, and pulls Lorel aside and basically tells her, look, um, if you don't do something about both Tyler and the boy, their liabilities and weaknesses, uh, you need to do something about her. If you don't, I will. Uh, and, you know, and because yeah. I don't care what you want. The, what the Federation wants is for a stable empire on our border. And that's why we yeah, need yeah. you to be strong, which is, which is a very interesting real politics sort of um, approach mm-hmm. to this situation. Um, yeah. and, and, and we're also left with the impression 
for dramatic purposes, that this was a threat on the life of both Tyler and the baby. Yeah, exactly. and I, I like the fact that they're now dealing with the, it, that it was, it, it, this would never work, you right. know, and, and you have, <clears throat> you have uh, Giorgio being the one to hang a lantern on it and just say, look, guys, this is never going to work. You got to, you got to get him out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to the resolution of that because I want to come uh, d- deal with the, the, the Tilly situation, which is oh, uh, first, though, we yeah. learn in this scene that uh, Giorgio had children in the mirror universe who she then was like a bad mother to because she let other people raise them so she could get on with being Empress. Well, wasn't in yep. the wasn't Michael, her daughter in the mirror universe adopted, adopted. But this seemed to imply or I got the impression, it, number one, it was plural children, not yeah. just Michael. Yep. That's true. And I assume that they were that at least some of them were biological. Okay. Okay. It, uh, yeah. I, I guess I didn't think about that too hard. Uh, but yeah, that's you're right. Um, so we back to um, discovery, and so Burnham is in her uh, stateroom that she shares with Tilly, uh, that apparently still shares with her, even though she's the science officer now, and she's been re- yeah. redeemed and, ele- and, and elevated in rank again. But uh, apparently, she's sharing her stateroom with with uh, Tilly, and they become friends, you know, and they have become friends. They've shown yeah, that. Mm-hmm. they're they're roomies. And uh, Tilly comes in and Burnham is crying uh, uh, and decides uh, I need to focus on something other than my own pain. Uh, Let me help you. And uh, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that Burnham hears what's going on and immediately cuts through the yeah. baloney and says you're not crazy this is this is star trek you're seeing yeah. Yeah. you're seeing an alien some sort of alien influence that's the thing that all of us were have been yelling at the screen for the last two episodes exactly it's some sort of alien influence and I, I like how tilly admits to her that may she says she's been grooming me for something and i don't know what and it's like right. oh that is so creepy <laughs> yes. yeah exactly um and uh and because and then the trigger that makes that really makes them wonder is, is that May doesn't understand why Tilly's eyes are leaking or dripping or something. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so Burnham says, show me a teenage girl who's never cried. You can't because I'm a xenoanthropologist. And I'm like, not because you were a that, teenage girl. Teenage once. Girl? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the beginning, <laughs> that, of this, that line felt I think that line was meant to be humorous and it yeah. just fell flat. Yeah. Well, yeah. God, especially since the beginning of the scene, she was crying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was OK. I OK. Mean, however, uh, what I really liked about this scene is how genuinely vulnerable and tearful we get to see Tilly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this doesn't come across as fake acting. This is like this is, I thought her acting was good. Yes. Um, yeah. She really is a coming across as a frightened and scared and, you know, just damaged emotionally at, in this scene. Yep. And um, and I think it's another indication of why she's not the Mary Sue on this. Series. Right. Right. And and so she right, because it shows she's still a brand new ensign who just was a cadet. It's a lot to take in for her all all, yeah. all at once. Um, and so they figure out that because she's she touched the dark matter asteroid. That's um, when it. That's when May started appearing to her. Right, but even though Burnham touched it, it didn't affect her. But they figure out it was the spores, and that, so mm-hmm. Tilly doesn't need sick bay; she needs Stamets, and that's when they yeah. go to Stamets, and 
And um, yeah, he is whiter than Pike. <laughs> <laughs> He's whiter than Volk. He's whiter than Volk. <laughs> and so they, uh, and Saru is there to reassure Tilly that uh, even though she kind of freaked out, they'll explain, you know, what's going on. Um, although one thing he says is, oh, Pike will understand. He has a sense of humor and he's fond of you. Or he'll recognize that she was under the influence of an alien creature. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that seemed a little odd. Um, so Stamets uses a device. It looks like the same device that Tilly was using on the Dark yes, Matter asteroid. Yeah, yep. just to suck it out of her, which is basically. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I love how how May starts to try to bargain and threaten and stuff like that. Oh, and, yeah. and then May Tilly says, "How soon can you get this thing out of me?" And Stamets just like whips out the device and goes to town with it. <laughs> this this <laughs> might hurt. This might hurt a little. <laughs> oh, were you a dentist once? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Don't get any anesthetic ahead of time either. No warning. Just turn on the device. Out the thing comes. And we finally get closure on the green dot yes. from the series right. finale last season where we saw a green dot land on Tilly's shoulder. We didn't know what it was. Now we do. It was right. This mycelial spore creature from that, the uh, from the mirror universe yep that has been manifesting as may right um yeah i, I wish stamets would have said uh, you're gonna feel a little pressure because that's the classic it's not pain it's yeah. not gonna hurt a little you're gonna little feel pinch. a little pressure a little, little pinch, pinch yep. <laughs> so um and at one point he says it's obviously multicellular since it has opinions uh that's that was a good line <laughs> <laughs> um so, and, and even though uh, they're supposed to have inoculations against spores because it was a mere universe spore, that she was not inoculated against it, et cetera, et cetera. They suck it out. Um, it floats around and then they, what do they suck it up they into? The, it. Yeah. They, they put it, it in, a in a shield. Yeah. My guess is we're not done with this uh, creature uh, yet. No, as, not as, according to the clip for next oh, week. Oh, that's right. That's better better than a guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The previous also, tell us. So in terms of things we might not be done with. So we have here with May a mycelial spore alien appearing to someone as the guys in the guise of a dead person they knew. Mm-hmm. Do we know other anyone else who's been hooked up to the mycelial network and having dead loved ones appear to them? Oh, yeah. We, Gee, we, I wonder who that could be. This, yeah. It, so Stamets may have an interesting revelation coming his way. Mm-hmm. He right. finds out that Hugh is not Hugh. It's just a spore alien. Right. Oh, now, this this brings us to the to a scene which uh, I found extremely disturbing. This is about as far as star trek has ever gone for me into the disturbing yeah. realm um mm-hmm. which is laurel addressing the high council where she's disavowing mm. tyler uh shows his severed head which is you know that that's that's far and then shows the severed head of her baby and yeah. and we know we like we cut we probably figure yeah this is not really the baby but nevertheless yeah i mean it's obvious it's obviously a special effect prop thing but yeah, that's that's dark for Star Trek. That is as dark as it's ever gotten. They ease us into it a step at a time in terms of the direction of this scene. First, they show us Ash's head and yeah. that gives mm-hmm. us time to adjust what to what's coming. And then they don't show us the complete baby's head at first. Right. They show her holding it up, but we only see part of it in several different yeah. shots from different angles before we get to see the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, they they know consciously we're really going somewhere 
where Star Trek has not gone before. <laughs> yeah. And we're we're walking you over the line a piece at a time to try to to try to right. soften the blow. Okay. Yeah. So that was that was a that was hard uh, to to watch as a as a dad, but I'm sure for for a lot of people that was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um but she takes this moment to unite um the empire. She's using this 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 opportunity it unites the empire behind her kind of says i can i can, will never be a mother before so now i will be take the title i will be your mother the mother of the empire well, she, i love, she, I, love how, I love how being chancellor isn't as um it's, courageous and bold a title as mother yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of a mixed feelings about that. Um, so one of the things, so she says, I will, I, Chancellor isn't enough. I need a fiercer title than that. Right. And, and I thought, ooh, okay, this is interesting. This is having moments of resonance with like classical history because Roman lead, Ro- Roman emperors would have the Senate vote them titles. Yes. That's how we got Augustus, for example. Right. I mean, originally the guy's name was Octavian. Um, and, and, and so what honors would they be given in the form of titles was a very important thing. So the classical history buff in me is going, ooh, what's it going to be? Mother, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> I mean, I guess they're, yeah, okay, so Klingon mothers are going to be fierce, but, you right. know, yeah. Kind and of the, fell a little flat for me. And the whole thing here is, is that she's, she knows, she mentions, like, she, the, it's not generally known that Tyler is Valk. That's, that right. she says um she bore Valk's child she had made Tyler mm-hmm. her torchbearer to honor Valk and that Tyler murdered the son her son and betrayed them to the federation is it not known that he's Valk because or, I, or is I didn't she saying did she say that in order to kind of make a distinction that even though it's the same person through this operation honored, he became a different person and i honored what he was by making what right. he is now my 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 okay that's that's kind of that's kind of how i i understood it that because that really would be suicidally stupid i'm gonna make this human my right hand man out of nowhere (laughs) that's true that that is the first thing you'd want to do is say by the way everybody this is really valk it's not (laughs) what he looks like but it's really him yes that's okay that 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 makes some sense I, i guess so um so we have this moment where they're they all uh unite behind her and uh, Laurel comes into her own. And meanwhile, uh, aboard this strange. I, I, I did admire her yep. ruthlessness as a leader. I mean, this is a reasonable solution to the problem she put herself. In. Right, right. Especially since, yeah, I mean, she she was in a no win situation. She had a Kobayashi Maru moment there and uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> she yeah. found a way out of it. Um, so and then now aboard this strange starship uh, that's in orbit around a planet. We find that Tyler and the baby are alive with Giorgio. Um, and then she she shows him a black com badge, which he recognizes that he recognizes star section thirty one. Yeah. And How I'm like, does he know about section thirty one? Especially since it's a Klingon. Like he's not like if he were an actual Starfleet uh, officer, he may have heard rumors of a dark, yeah. you know, black ops unit. No, no, he, there's no reason he would know this. If, if Section 31 is as secretive as they mm-hmm. made it out to be in Deep Space Nine. And that's that's going to be one of the, the keys here for me with them introducing Section 31. Are they going to be able to keep it as secret as it supposedly is? 
or are they going to blow wide open and everyone's going to be talking about it like it's well, even, news? you know, even if you go back when um, the Empress was recruited in Section 31, they it was wasn't revealed like, oh, everybody who's Federation knows about Section 31. It was right. we're this secretive group where no one really knows about us. You know, we're, we're kind of behind the scenes type of deal. Yeah. I can think of two, and this is headcanon again, but I can think of two ways that Ash could have learned about it. Um, number one, um, the secret intelligence organizations of one nation are always intensely focused on the secret intelligence organizations of another nation. So the Klingon Empire likely knew about Section 31. And yeah. um, since since he since Volk was involved in intelligence programs for the Klingons, like becoming Ash Tyler, um, he could have learned about it from Klingon intelligence. Secondly, Lorca was all over dark, evil, weird stuff and came from the mirror universe where they could also have a mirror section 31. Yeah. And he had like that secret torture chamber, whatever place with a Gorn skeleton on discovery that, and he was tight with Ash. And so maybe he learned about it from Lorca. Maybe. Although I, I gather, I mean, section 31 was never actually an intelligence agency, but sort of a uh, rogue um, operation. Mm. But, but they function, I mean, we're told they're the equivalent of the Tal Shiar and stuff. They're like, yeah. I mean, they're kind of Federation's turning a blind eye to them, but they're functioning like an intelligence agency. Yeah, I guess that's how they ended up. I mean, originally that first episode, they really made it sound like they were just a, a group of rogue Starfleet officers. But but be that as it may, um, yeah. where they are is they're over the planet Boreth. Uh, By the way, I like how how um, the way the way that the thing that leads Ash to ask the question that yep. gets Giorgio to reveal this is, you know, you guys copied our DNA and stuff and that to to make the heads seem real. Yes. Um, ordinary groups can't do that. Who are you? And right. I like the I like that they had the atten- the presence of mind to say, OK, someone could get these heads and run DNA tests on them. Are they going to stand up? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though Laurel sent, you know, threw Ash's head into the pit. Um, yes. Mount Mount Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they were in orbit around the planet Boreth in the Klingon Empire, where there's a monastery. Uh, the followers of Kales, uh are, have Waiting a monastery there. Return. Where, right. Where no one go, no one goes in or out. Uh, and this is where we get the title of the episode, Point of Light, from mm-hmm. a line mm-hmm. uh, uh, mentioned by KLS uh, that we get in um, the TNG, Next the Generation. Next Generation episode, Rightful Air. He says, points to a star and says, after promising you would return, look for me there on that point of light. And that's this planet, which is interesting then, because now uh, the baby has been sent to this planet and he is on this you- planet. To be raised as a monk. To be raised as a monk. So what connection does this have to Kalis then, maybe? That's an interesting question. Are they setting us up for the return of this child at some later point? Um, I don't think so. I think the title is just a hook into the nature of the place where the baby ends up. That is that point of light. Because mm. they can't really bring Kalis back in easily in twenty in the 23rd century because his... his right. Clone return is in the twenty fourth century. Not Kalis, but the baby. Will the baby oh, come back? Maybe. Oh, the baby sure could. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and mean, we have seen Klingon children grow very quickly. Uh, Alexander. 
yeah. <laughs> who, who grew from uh, baby to adult in about uh, six years. Uh, I mean, maybe Klingons have a different uh, uh, maturation cycle. I mean, that's yeah. never been disputed uh, or, or established. Uh, so maybe that baby is going to come back at some point to this point of light you know, reference. Who knows? But that's a because it could also refer to May. And as I think about it, May as that spore was a bit of it was kind of like a point of light. Um, and hmm. of course, these signals no. are also points of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's not a thousand of them. This is a Hollywood thing. So we've got to be real clear on that. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, is not an uh, an uh, homage to George H. W. Bush. Uh, so, uh, so that's how we. That's where we end it. Is um, uh, Tyler joins Section Thirty One. He's uh, he's recruited by Giorgio, who who says, uh, "I you know she's with this band of misfits because the freaks are more fun." I like that line. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It promises uh, that Giorgio is going to continue to be very interesting character. That's for sure. I, I, I like at the end, um, she's talking to this other section. Giorgio is talking to this other section 31 dude who's apparently her superior, maybe. Yeah. And it's... says, we want you to work on your recruitment speech. And she says, don't give me notes. He's in. And yeah. so that's how we learn Ash accepted her proposal. But the thing I like about that is don't give me notes. Because that's a Hollywood in joke. When right. you have TV series, the scriptwriters, you know, do their initial draft, and then everybody who's above them in the food chain at the studio, right, gives yeah. notes on how they need to change the script. And so, giving notes is a Hollywood thing. And I like that line of "Don't give me notes." That's <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah. the author speaking. That's the author of the script speaking there. So yeah. this character that she talks to, his name is Leland. Um, and he's her handler. We met him first in a deleted scene that later showed up online from the season season one season finale. Um, mm-hmm. Will you take my hand? Where he's where he recruits? Um, uh, well, not right. recruits, but he's su- supervising or overseeing Giorgio's mission to Kronos. Then, uh, mm-hmm. so he's uh, he's sort of a, a, her recruiter handler uh, mm-hmm. in this. And we we are he mentions this control who is apparently the leadership of Section 31, whoever they may be. So that's uh, another interesting reference there we're probably mm-hmm. going to come back to. So do you either of you have any other notes on this episode that uh, you want to bring up, Father uh, Corey? Um, I'm good. A couple, couple of just kind of production things. Uh, first of all, whoever directed this needs to learn that cameras need to be one way, not start one way and then turn it as it's going through a door. <laughs> I started yeah. to get dizzy in some of those episodes where they would have it sideways and then spin as it would come in. There that, there were a lot of moving Dutch angles in this uh, episode. Was, I, well, think they, was, I think they work in space. Same guy who did the, uh, the short track Calypso. Where he did the same thing. Remember that where yeah, uh, yes. uh, the, the the guy, when we first see him in sickbay, he's upside down and they flip it over. Craft. Craft, right. Yep. Uh, same thing. Yes. Uh, so. Tunde Osun Sami. Sorry. So I guess that's his good, Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it works in space where you're seeing the ships from these weird, yes. bizarre angles because that communicates the 3D-ness of our environment. Well, I mean, but not was, interiors. Uh, yeah. Last, yeah. you know, last episode where they're they're going, um, they go from the ship down to the planet. They show from the ship down to the planet or something like that, and the ship's upside down as we normally see it. Right. You know, and that that that's one thing. But yeah, where you're inside and you see the door sideways, and then it spins as it goes into the door. That got me a little dizzy there sometimes. <laughs> um, 
one thing they do here that they do so often in Star Trek. Why are you talking about a private issue you want no one to hear about in the middle of the open corridor where anybody could walk by at any time? Which which one was that? Uh... That was when Amanda first is talking to hands uh, hands. Oh, uh, right. Michael Burnham, the the card, the the, the disc. The, yeah. The Why Fox are you doing that in the middle of an open corridor instead of in her private corridors? Right. Um, when Laurel is talking to the. Uh, talking to the the whole Klingon, all the the fa- all the the, the families, um, it switches from her speaking Klingon with English subtitles to her speaking English with Klingon subtitles. Yeah. So is this the point now where we're going to have auto translate of the Klingons? Now we're I, always going to hear them in English. I kind of hope, hope so. so. <laughs> I hope so. I hate the way they with those mouthpieces and stuff. The way they it's painful to listen to them speak Klingon. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. So, <laughs> so hopefully, so hopefully now we're going to have it where it, it's going to be in English with maybe Klingon subtitles or no subtitles at all. Um, and then when uh, when Ash and uh, Laurel are, you know, they're being recommitted before they go get the baby. They bring up Kales and Lucara, the love between Kales and Lucara. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that course is, you know, Klingon tradition. Yep. And then the final one is the, the scene where. Ash is standing on the, the bridge of the, the Section 31 ship with the baby. When he's not looking, the, the look on uh, Giorgio's face, she's just got this soft look. Just, But as soon as he turns, he meets, she immediately yeah. gets that stern look. I love that. That was right. just great acting. Yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, Showing even good. she has a maternal side. Yep. <laughs> even she does. Uh, cool. All right. So, uh, so I think that takes us to the end of this discussion. Um, we didn't have any... Um, uh, feedback last week, but folks, but if you have if you have some feedback, we, we'd love to get it from you. Um, and uh, we will we'll take it at um, you can send it to S- go to sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us feedback on the episode links there. Or you can send an email to Trek at sqpn.com or, you know, on Twitter or any of those places. So we'd love to get your feedback on our discussions, anything you found interesting, insights that you've had that we missed, that sort of thing. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to take a moment, like we always do, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. Today, we want to thank by name uh, Sean F., Christopher Y., Joel K., Jimmy D., and Lars S. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. You can find links to our, to relevant to our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode, which is titled In Obal for Sharon. Your guess is as good as mine what oh, that means. I, minor spoiler, <laughs> well, an, an obal is a coin that you would put either uh, in the mouth or on the eyes of a dead person mm. so that they could pay... Karen, the ferryman to cross the river, the river sticks sticks. into the afterlife. The Greek mythology. Uh, okay, I knew who Karen Karen is. Did not know about the Obal. Thank you, Jimmy. So you'll have that and more insights <laughs> next time. So until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. I'm glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember. On Vulcan, we call bossiness persistence.